This is Ben Smith, I'm a photographer, and this is my podcast, A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for listening. Hey folks, this is Ben and this is A Small Voice, Conversations with Photographers. Thanks for joining me, nice to have you along. What have I got to tell you? This week on the podcast, I have got the fantastic Anastasia Samoylova. I think it might be Samoylova. I think Anastasia might say it more like Samoylova than Samoylova if it really came to it, but hopefully she won't mind either way. Anyway, Anastasia is my guest this week and I will introduce her properly in a minute. A little bit of business to get through, a bit of housekeeping, a couple of announcements, a few things to tell you about, so don't skip. Let's say, first of all, that this is sponsored by Charcoal Editions, the newest project of the Charcoal Book Club, a curated online gallery selling open edition silver gelatin prints. That means a unique opportunity for photographer lovers like me and you to acquire beautiful silver gelatin prints that ordinarily would only be financially accessible to collectors and institutions. Collectors, you know what I mean. Additioning photographic prints is kind of an invention, really, of galleries and dealers designed to increase scarcity and drive up prices. Charcoal Editions is rejecting that model. The purchase price of their prints reflects an equitable division between artist, printer and gallery. You're not paying for a signature or artificial scarcity, but for light itself captured within the fabric of black and white photographic paper. To ensure the highest quality possible, every silver gelatin print is handmade by Sergio Patel and the master printers at Black and White on White in Brooklyn, New York. The motto there is Beauty Over Scarcity, which reflects Charcoal Edition's mission to return to the core of photography's democratic and accessible nature. So, they're offering you, the listener, a 10% discount through to the end of the year. Go to charcoaleditions.com and use the code A Small Voice all in caps, at checkout, to get your 10% discount on your first order. What else do I have to tell you about? I just got back from Turin. I had a little couple of day visit there to mainly go and see the a fantastic Gregory Crudson exhibition at Gallery d'Italia, uh, with a view to getting Gregory on the podcast in the near future. So I've given you, I don't normally do that because I'm really in fear of completely jinxing anything that might be in the uh, pipeline, but uh, I've told you now and I can't be bothered to edit this out. So there you go. Let's hope that that chat does happen and um, I will be excited to talk to him and bring that to you if and when it does. But um, if you fancy going over to Turin, it's a fantastic city for a start and um, that is a great space, the Gallery d'Italia, dedicated entirely to photography, that space. Uh, I think it's like 10,000 square feet or something insane. And Gregory got pretty much uh, the whole space there. So anyway, just done that. Going to Paris at the weekend to Paris Photo, my first trip to Paris Photo. So looking forward to that. Barring any kind of disasters, I'll be bringing you a small voice special from there. One little announcement. Uh, a friend of the podcast, Ed Thompson, has got a new book he's trying to fund on Kickstarter. And the book is called The Texas Hill Country. So if you are a fan of Ed's work, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. Go to Kickstarter and check out The Texas Hill Country or type Edward Thompson in and it will pop up. The deadline for the funding on that, I think, is Thursday. So that's the day after this podcast goes out. Don't forget to sign up as a member of this podcast for £5 a month at pod.fan if you want to get access to special, additional, exclusive content. For instance, if you want to hear Anastasia's bonus questions that we referred to right at the end of this chat, that's how you would be able to do that by signing up as a member for £5 a month. Pod.fan is where you can find this podcast page and you can support the ongoing production of this podcast by signing up as a member and you'll get access to all kinds of extra goodies. Also, if you happen to want a new website, I can make you one using the Squarespace platform. Hit me up at ben at bensmithphoto.com if you're interested in a new website but you can't be bothered to figure out how to build one yourself. So, Anastasia Samoylova, I'm going to go with that one, was born in 1984 in the USSR and is an American artist who moves between observational photography and studio practice. This is the uh, bio of Anastasia's website. Her work explores notions of environmentalism, consumerism and the picturesque. Recent exhibitions include the Eastman Museum, Chrysler Museum, 
Museum of Art, Photographer's Gallery, Kunsthaus Wein, History Miami Museum and Museum of Fine Arts, La Locla. I don't know how to pronounce that. In 2022, Anastasia was shortlisted for the Deutsche Bors Photography Foundation Prize. Uh, her work is in the collections of the Perez Art Museum Miami and the Museum of Contemporary Photography in Chicago, among others. And Anastasia's published monographs include Florida's Steidel 2022 and Flood Zone Steidel 2019. So just a minor publisher there with her latest work, Image Cities, forthcoming as a book and exhibition in 2023. So I'm a fan of Anastasia's work. Just bought myself a copy of Flood Zones myself. So I'm going to hopefully get her to sign that when I go to Paris because I believe she will be there. But in the meantime, do enjoy this chat I had with the fantastic Anastasia Sam Oliver. How was the hurricane? It was fine on this coast. On this coast, okay. it's fine. Okay. That tells you a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like uh, you're you're all right, and perhaps not so much other people. I mean, you, you've you've had a few. You've experienced a few since you moved to Florida. Four. One mm. major one. This one was also major. I think it was uh, three, four. It was category four, but because it stayed fairly localized there on the West coast, we didn't get any of it, but I did have to, you know, I did have to accommodate it. Yeah. I had to change my flights twice. I had to fly out a week sooner for an event. So definitely. Yeah. yeah. Cause you never quite know how bad it's going to be or, or, you know, where it's going to land. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the one that was bad, what was, how, how did that have an impact? Cause you, you living on Miami in Miami beach, yeah. which um, I didn't even realize, but it's actually an island is surrounded by water. Yeah, it's this artificial island it's that got built island. up. And just to paint the picture for you, where I'm sitting right now, I'm, I'm looking at the hotel. It was a grand hotel uh, built in the 60s, where the Beatles performed in 64. So it's a major grand hotel that got damaged by that very hurricane. Hurricane Irma in 2017, right. and it sat abandoned because of the damages. And so it's 500 room plus hotel that is now getting demolished. So I apologize for any ambient noise. It's actually the demolition of this hotel that kind of fed this entire neighborhood for decades um, that I'm witnessing now on a daily basis. I mean, mm. just the irony of it all. Yeah, it's, it's, it feels somehow symbolic in a way. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. There are quite a few things that have been surreal in the last few years, and this yeah. is one of those. Well, this is all integral to the work that you've done because you're you're focused on climate change. I don't know if hurricanes are a specific symptom of climate change. I know we've always had them, but perhaps the frequency of them and the severity of them is being made worse by you know what we're going through with a climate disaster. Yeah, precisely. It's the the severity of it. It's the the storm surge that's getting significantly worse. And that's what really causing the most damage. Yeah. So what are you kind of currently preoccupied with work-wise? Anything that you're sort of um, fully immersed in? Yes, a number of things. Are we already recording? Do you want me to? Yeah, we are. Be on fully? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't... I it was a, a smooth transition from small I, talk. No, I, always, <laughs> I always just start recording okay. like halfway through the uh, sentence. No, I wanted I wanted that to be part of it because obviously, you know, you are being impacted very directly by, um, you know, the very thing that you're focusing on with your work. And that seems, you know... To some extent, I suppose that's accidental, but not entirely. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk obviously about, you know, the books that you've produced in the last few years and, and um, the projects that you've been working on there. But yeah, I, I thought maybe I'd just catch up with what, what you're currently, you know, immersed in or involved with. Certainly, uh, there's this project that I just completed. Well, in fact, just an hour ago, I sent out the latest, the final, final final two <laughs> uh, revision of a layout for my next book um, called Image Cities. And that right. one has nothing to do with Florida or Miami. Right. It's everywhere but Miami. Mm. It's 15 um, countries and 17 sort of global cities. 
um, that I've photographed in the past two year and a half. It was right. very tight deadline uh, timeline. Um, and so the book is uh, coming out in February of next year. And there will be an exhibition in Madrid and in Barcelona. And it's Fundacion Mapfre, Spanish foundation um, mm. uh, that exhibits photography, who's publishing the work and doing the shows. Okay. And then hopefully yeah. we'll tour afterwards. So I'm, I'm very much involved in that. And I'm also working on an exhibition of Florida's um, that opens in January in Berlin. Okay, right, all right. So Image City, now that came as a result of a commission or it was something that you won? How did that um, start? Yeah, uh, so the Image Cities um, came out of my application for, it's called KBR, Map Frey Photography Award. Mm -hmm. And so I applied to that last year with a proposal to photograph um, the cities loosely based off this list called Globalization and World Cities Research Network, GOC, and <laughs> I discovered... Snappy title. <laughs> Snappy yeah. title. Um, but I found the terminology on that list especially fascinating. The cities are assigned the terms based on their power in the global network. So London and New York share the alpha plus plus category. Then there are alpha plus cities, alpha cities, beta cities, and so on. It's, it's mm. this odd sort of masculine <laughs> terminology. Mm. Um, and last year, um, I also revisited Moscow for the first time in many years. I've moved from Russia to the United States in 2008, early 2008, for graduate school, and I've not been back since, hmm. apart from that show. And there were certain things I noticed throughout the city, and I've not photographed it um, when I was still a student back there. I studied environmental design, and then at one point, I remember I was being stopped in the street. I, I, I was stopped and made delete my photographs from my digital camera. Oh, really? Yeah. And that was 2005, so early 2000s. Mm. Um, again, that tells you something. It's never really yeah. a free world. But uh, I was always uh, invested in, you know, analyzing photorealistic and photographic images because I grew up, it felt like I grew up surrounded by images and by the sort of facades of things. Yeah. What was the angle on image cities then? How would you sort of um, explain, you know, your, what you're kind of exploring? So it's a number of things. Um, and the cities themselves eventually dictated the choice of subjects uh, it's a, a personal perspective, like with everything that I have done, you know, flood zone is an insider perspective on how it is to live with changing climate. Florida's is an insider perspective. And so is image cities, even though I don't live in those cities, I've lived in Moscow for some time. Um, and then I'm back and forth with New York, but the 15 cities, there's a unifying thread there, this enormous, um, monumental scale images of um, various types of commerce from real estate renderings to all these endless lifestyle ads that we are mm -hmm. surrounded by. Um, while also most of the time the figures um, that I managed to photograph in the streets also have their phones in front of them um, so it's this collage sort of of, of our existence. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you use the word collage because that's the kind of real consistent theme throughout everything you've done, really. And um, just looking at all the work in preparation, it's just made me think that, yeah, whether you're actually constructing stuff uh, or whether you're just photographing what's there, there's always a kind of feel um, of collage. I think we'll talk more about it as well when we talk about um, flood zones and, and Florida's possibly. But yeah, that's really notable because some of the work that you did, 
you know, previously was well, kind of studio based, kind of, and very much collage based stuff. I mean, it, that that seems to be a through line through everything. Is that just the way your brain sort of processes what you see in a way? Absolutely. That is a great observation. Very accurate. That is how my brain indeed processes the world. I think now it's through telephoto lens exclusively (laughs) with with the Image Cities project. But a decade prior, I was making collages and paintings and sort of three-dimensional tableaus that looked like a collage in the studio, the project that's called Landscape Sublime, that is ongoing. Mm. It's just getting larger now. I mainly do public art commissions with that. Um, And then before that, I was painting and making three-dimensional models of actual spaces when I studied environmental design. I was going um, to become an architect, sustainable edge uh, but that didn't pan out yet. Mm. The three-dimensional concerns remained and the, um, the multiple angles as well. And I, I'm trying to accomplish that multiplicity through now very condensed um, space in mm. the images. So the telephoto mm. helps me with that, but the collage aesthetic it's, has been with me throughout. Yeah. Many, many years. Yeah, that also no, um, was noticeable, the way that you kind of shoot quite tight. It feels like um, I'm always kind of, there's a slight tension there that I'm not seeing what's outside the frame, in, you know, that there's no hint of of um, the wider the wider picture in a way. You're very kind of focused in on specific detail sometimes. And that, again, that gives that um, Flood Zones book a particular kind of vibe, I think, which is hard to articulate what that what that is but yeah i like the way that you deliberately do that yeah it abstracts the world in a way um two different pictorial approaches right you start from nothing like a painter you start from canvas and then you add to it and then with photography perhaps because i still think like a painter Mm. (laughs) you have to reduce the chaos of that pictorial plane to something digestible and important and because i'm not trained as a photographer well i i added my mfa but it was dealing again more with painting than photography i just used photography as a medium um i'm i'm never seeking any action there are barely any action shots there's Mm -hmm. very little um psychology in the um typical understanding of the word you know there's no human suffering or faces close up barely um, if there's a human figure, it's sort of to provide scale to yeah. urban landscape or natural landscape. Um, uh, so with all those, uh, you know, typically photographing photographic um, subjects missing, you know, and me being focused on architecture, and yet these are not being in any way uh, plain architecture or landscape images. You have to create drama somehow, right? Mm. So it's with was this splicing of layers uh yeah. through the condensed yeah yeah view. yeah it just reminded me i i just had stephen shaw on recently and uh it, that point that you just made about you know um you're sort of removing stuff rather than adding um we, we were talking about exactly that so it's interesting that you kind of echoed that same point because uh, something that he I th- well, I think I said, or one of us said it anyway, but we were talking about that. Um, oh, I need recently. to listen to that. I'm a huge yeah. fan, of course. And the geometry is key. Exactly. And, and um, he, you know, he, he brought a book out last year called Modern Instances, which was kind of a part memoir and part just sort of his uh, meditations on, you know, sort of 40 years of taking pictures. So it's it's fascinating. If you haven't read that, I'd, I'd recommend, I think you'd find a lot of, really interesting stuff in there but the the thing about image cities what strikes me is that you know it must have been really weird to go to all those different places because there's a kind of um what's the word a kind of it's homogenous now you know this this kind of globalization and this kind of commercialism that has uh kind of infected everything it feels like it's made cities all the same wherever they are i mean is did you experience it that way or am i am i sort of is that not necessarily true? Because there's no mention of which places you've, uh, which places are where kind of thing in, in this, uh, certainly looking at the pictures on the website. And I, I presume that's kind of deliberate. Yeah. 
the goal is for um, the viewer to you know, compile their own patterns to seek um, the relationships. And some of them are more obvious than others. Um, it's something that preoccupied I think, many photographers who uh, worked in cities throughout the history of photography, right? Even with Adjay, as early as Adjay, there's a street plasters with, plastered with posters. Um, and then uh, I watched uh, this movie. Some of some of films really should be only seen on big screen for full mm. impact. I saw Playtime by Jacques Tati uh, last year. Uh, when I, yeah, before leaving for, for Moscow even. So I watched that film and there's a scene um, from a tourism bureau where there are multiple posters of different cities that they're advertising. And you can see only on big screen. And I've watched it as a student before, but it was mm. a small, you know, viewing. Uh, and this way you can really see it close up those posters of various cities of Paris, I think it was Berlin and something else uh, looking so homogenous through this Mies van der Rohe style architecture, the steel and glass that's infiltrating all those cities. And I just spoke with a friend architect the other day, as I, I began showing this project now who said, indeed we are, designing buildings to accommodate billboards and screens oh no, oh, no. that's terrible it's that's not just really... efficiency it's also made to accommodate the ads yeah so if anything there's no slowing down of this process mm. we're going to be wrapped in images that are going to be flickering all around us uh, yeah. and the thing about why I wanted to uh, focus on the images in cities and as somebody who grew up in the city um, is also because the images affect us on this very deep and Im immediate level. Uh, unlike even our screens that we can presumably choose to turn off, although I'm not sure if that's even possible anymore, mm. we can turn off those screens around us but not at that scale, right? So when you are in this urban landscape and you have to navigate a city, um, the images, essentially, they, they get right through your whatever retina right? and into your brain immediately without mm. you being able to filter out, filter them out like you would even with words. Um, there is that fraction of a second where you can look at the word and still choose not to read it. Hmm. If you're in a rush, but not no such thing with images. So they get into our memory, you know, and, and then into our collective memory eventually. Um, and they have this ability, we know, right, as image makers, we they have this ability to create um, understanding of the world, to even generate certain desires, right, aspirations for lifestyle, hmm. Hmm and so yeah. forth for the type of you know body that you're supposed to have a car or apartment and all the yeah, real estate developments there are a few images interesting in, in mexico city in heavily congested streets um so in traffic there is a line of work now where there are people who run out to the traffic uh at a stop sign um and then stretch a big banner for a new real estate development. Right. So it's okay. that <laughs> urgent to yeah. advertise the investor, yeah, to, to the to potential investors into yeah. Yeah, new new constructions. My gosh. Yeah, there's a slight echo in something I've been working on because those, I mean, there, there's, there's a few sort of quite oblique uh, uses of them in your in your stuff. I'm, I'm glad that there, there it isn't more directly a, about it because I've been doing a lot of stuff about those, like you say, architectural renders that um, are sort of CGI generated with little fake people and, you know, this kind of 
perfect uh, kind of presentation of this thing that hasn't even been built yet, you know, and everyone's happy and smiling and it's all stuff that's just been created in the computer. So I've been fascinated by by that same thing for some years. And that's part of this thing that I've been working on here in London. Um, yeah, those things are really uh, fa- are fascinating, I think, for anyone who's sort of interested in imagery and, and how it um, w- operates on our psyche, you know. I mean, speaking of cities, I want to talk a little bit about Miami, and 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 obviously that's you know somewhere that you've fo- you focused on um, shot extensively for flood zones. Although flood zones actually isn't just um, set in in Florida; it's it's some of the other southern states as well. Is that correct? Yes, um, it's a wider geography. Although the majority of images came from South Florida, just because mm. I live here and I've mm. experienced a, a number of just natural phenomenon here, a phenomena. Um, but yeah, there's also Georgia, there's South Carolina, and there's Louisiana. Uh, mm. And it's an ongoing project. It's like all of my projects, except, except from Florida's, that, that one is finished. Um, right. But flood zone will probably morph into fire zone and then the Atlantic mm. coast further, yeah, further up the Atlantic coast um, and per- potentially, um, um, yeah, it would be a global project. Yeah, I can imagine. And um, as I'm often saying, it seems like the only real story worth pursuing at the moment, given that it's sort of, you know, a genuine existential threat to uh, the future of uh, of mankind. It seems like uh, taking time to focus on anything else um, feels a bit kind of <laughs> irrelevant in a way. I mean, do you feel that way about it in terms of the environmental side of things? Because I was wondering if what what's really going to ever make any difference to the to to how it's you know to to what changes i mean can any photography projects or anything you know really ever whether it's a, an image of a polar bear on a tiny little you know piece of ice in the middle of uh you know a sea or um or the stuff you're doing could it do you feel any sort of genuine optimism that there can be change yeah I do, actually. Uh, the project is not meant to be this doom and gloom, so defeatist project, even though I have no problem of it being alarmist, but not defeatist. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good distinction. Yeah. And again, it is very much personal. The images are not illustrations of how climate change looks like there's no such thing there's no one such thing there are Mm. multiple um issues that you need to address including the fact that climate change is not some sort of separate phenomenon that can be fixed on its own right you need to fix the mindset humanity's mindset uh that natural resources can, can continue to be exploited the rate mm. that they are exploited. And um, especially where I live um, in the States, the reliance on personal transportation is immense. And sitting in traffic in Miami, realizing you're literally drowning yourself yeah. with exhaust fumes from all these cars. Yeah. In Miami Beach, you're feet away from water and you're sitting there just rising that water level um, and it, it inevitably ending up in the same street you're, you're driving through. Mm. It is happening now multiple times a year with king tides. Um, so back to your question, um, whether that can be changed, there can be tangible changes that would um, affect things positively in the long run. Nothing short term can be accomplished, right? Even if we stopped um, the use of fossil fuels today, it will take another century to reverse mm. the existing trajectory. Um, not even to reverse, yeah, to just stop it. Mm. Reversal would have to come from other measures. Yeah. But it's the short-term thinking that led us to where we are now. Mm. So perhaps changing, again, the psychology into something more long-term 
and considerate of future generations and not this kind of, it won't happen in my lifetime or my kid's lifetime mentality, Mm. which has done so much damage. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that we find, I mean, just as a species, we find it difficult to think in terms of, um, you know, long timelines. And um, that's, like you say, the, the problem that's 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 kind of brought about the current situation. So whether we can then switch that way of thinking, yeah. I don't know. And at the same time, reminding people that actually in our lifetime, we are already... Um, experiencing the circumstances of heating climate, and it obviously will be exacerbated in the next um, few decades even. Yeah. So when you first moved to Miami, what, what made you move to Miami? You were in the Midwest before that. I was in the Midwest, and then I was in the Northeast. And actually, speaking of Stephen Shore, I have a much treasured, well, I haven't erased it now, a much treasured voicemail from Stephen Shore because we taught at the same college and so when I was a new faculty member. Ah, so you took <laughs> that Bard. Yeah, I taught at Bard, but at a different campus. So we haven't okay. met at that point, but I've met him at his incredible in, uh, retrospective uh, oh. at MoMA. Yeah, and it was a combination of things. I wanted to leave my... Um, academic job and I got into an artist residency that provided a free studio in Miami beach for oh, nice. a couple of years. Uh, and with that came a lot of opportunities. So I wanted to make art full time. I wasn't actually thinking about photography but, oh, really? <laughs> yeah, in, that, in that period. Uh, but I arrived at it because of uh, Miami. I mean, it's like a, place that uh, i don't know what what the the average american's perception of you know when you talk about miami what do you think i mean i suppose you think about um kind of um it's a place where a lot of elderly people go to sort of retire a lot of you know the kind of um, what what are they called snowbirds or something i i don't know like the old jewish couples go and sort of live there in a in a kind of condo or whatever but then it's also you know you think in terms of the kind of Hispanic community, but what what were your sort of your immediate kind of uh, reactions to to being there? But as a as a resident, though, rather than just a kind of visitor. Yeah, so those myths are no longer applicable. You know, right. that reality is long gone. Right, it ended roughly in the sixties and seventies. Um, oh, really? So I'm that mm, far behind. Yeah, but. The myth wow. remains, you know, and it's surrounded by many different ones. You know, the Miami Vice era. The, yeah. Well, the, I'm old enough to remember that. That's yeah. sure, so, <laughs> the cute yeah. Jewish re- retirees era. There's a great documentary called The Last Resort about that right. time period, which wasn't that long, actually. Um, and now it's something entirely different. And I found this um, was it discrepancy is the word, um, between the mythology of this place and what it really is to be fascinating and enough for me to delve into this fairly new medium for me of Mm. observational photography. Um, Interesting, yeah. Because you had, before that, you'd like we said before, you'd been a kind of studio-based practitioner. Absolutely, yeah. I was using photography for... um, well, photography was the subject of my work, so it was self-referential right. in a way yeah, the, yeah. with the Landscape Sublime project and the work I was doing prior in graduate school. Um, but here it felt urgent to record what I was seeing for a number of reasons because of the rapid changes uh, both in the kind in in the kind of development that was going on and the deterioration deterioration of a place at the same time, so the simultaneous build up and drowning. And have you probably have heard of some of the circumstances and consequences of those actions that we've dealt with here? There was an entire residential condo that collapsed last year in Surfside. It's actually on my street. And just now, mm. because of that, there was this wave of um, this upheaval from the insurance company's behalf 
and uh, our insurance just went up significantly. So now it's going to price out a large chunk of population from Miami Beach. And Miami Beach, again, um, despite the popular belief, it's not just a tourist place. There are pockets of it which are perfectly middle-class residential, Mm. including ours, for instance. Uh, But now that's uh, dubious. Mm -mm. (laughs) So we're talking about a sort of um, a place of kind of rampant um, development, you know, architectural um, building development and that kind of thing. Obviously, another place that has become a kind of <laughs> playground for the rich rather than for, I mean, I'm, I'm making, I'm, I'm sort of trying to, yeah, I'm trying to make some assumptions here. So tell me if they're, if they're misguided, but I, I assume those are the things that you started to notice. And like you say, you kind of at some point realized that you needed to photograph what you were seeing, but um, w- was the climate angle immediately apparent to you or did that sort of kind of sort of seep in uh, over time? Um, I took about a year to just explore the city. Mm. Also, there were some practical um, limitations in the first year. Uh, we were in a tiny studio that didn't have any natural light. All right. <laughs> the transition from the Northeast and let alone Midwest that was really affordable was stark. Uh, right. This contrast. So we're in a tiny studio and I just try to get out as much as I can could. Um, uh, and I began just accumulating this visual material um, in the hopes of using it for my collages someday. And I did. Um, there's this series called Wetlands that I'm mm-hmm. continuing that incorporates some of Florida's archival images, um, like a historic archive, and then some of my own. And so for a year, I would just observe. I would observe and record. I had no specific agenda whatsoever. Um, But it didn't take long to start noticing signs of this deterioration and of the effects of this. um, You know, it's only pleasant, this climate, for a few weeks in the year. It's actually quite (laughs) intense. Too much, yeah. Yes, and we moved in, I moved here in June, so it was mm. the hottest summer on record at the time, 2016, hottest Jeez. summer on yeah, record. That would, I would hate that. It was brutal, and humidity is, you know, nearing 90%, so yeah. you're so like and <laughs> fucking hot, in steam room, and yeah. then I couldn't even, it, it was pointless to get the air conditioner on in my car because then my lens would get that condensation immediately. Mm-hmm. I would have to wait another half an hour for it to decondense. Um, anyways, it was intense. Uh, and I was shooting and seeing things like salt water coming in from the drains in the street or mm. uh, cracks in the uh you know, cracks between the real estate rendering, those perfect um, renderings of future building uh, printed on metal, this fencing around the construction. And then in between the two plates uh, of, of that fence, you'd see flooded foundation and you see it all throughout. Mm. And I'm watching mm. now the hotel immediately fill up with that underground water and the Surfside condo that collapsed is essentially a sitting a pool right now. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I mean, you've said yourself, it's that fascination between the surface versus the reality kind of underneath it. I think that seems to be, you know, the kind of one of the main themes, at least of of the work. It is the main thing of all of my work. Yeah. right. Uh, All of my work, really. And it's just different examples of that. But I think it has a lot to do with, again, where I grew up and the this entire collapse in representation that uh, we've experienced in the nineties, right. When the Soviet union collapsed, Mm. uh, I was born then. Um, I was a child when the perestroika happened during the transition. Uh, But I remember it, it was quite vivid. And Mm. again, I remember through images that get so deeply ingrained in your memory, you can't really purge that. 
Uh, so remember all the reds, you know, and all the uh, um, the protests. But then prior to that, I remember the socialist realism posters advertising happy families and mm. uh, the abundance and yeah. our collective uh, shared, uh, you know, wealth. And yeah. none of that pan out right in the way that we expected and we believed yeah. in. Yeah, and you sort of, so you sort of came of age, you know, in simultaneously with the new um, the new Russia in a way, you know the, that that happened, you know, at the same time as you grew up, and then like just to I guess we're digressing a little bit, but what was it like to come to America? What was your first year or two in the states like? Was it a massive culture shock, or I mean, did you feel sort of did you feel like you fitted in quite quickly, or was it a bit of a struggle? Well, there was a language gap that still remains. It's not my native language, you know. Um, other than that, uh, my understanding of America was shaped by uh, the media, right, in Hollywood. And hmm. those are the things that I am also addressing in the Image Cities Project. And yeah. uh, by my uh, curiosity about photography, even back then, and I studied Ansel Adams, you know, that was the first place I wanted to visit when I came to the States was Yosemite. And mm. I even made a piece and homage to Adams's black and white mountains um, with the eponymous name, black and white mountains. Mm. <laughs> so uh, it, it wasn't a massive culture shock because um, I grew up with Beverly Hills 902. 2-1-0, yeah, yeah. dubbed in Russian, and Sex in the City, dubbed in Russian. And, right. But that, you know, that is Sex in the City alone, and New York as a character is a subject of many dissertations. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. this is not something exclusive to my research, obviously. It's just this, this fantasy, this construct of a place is something mm -hmm. that I've always been um, invested in deeply. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, like, just to go back to Miami. Um, one thing that is just obviously noticeable is this kind of color palette. This kind of um, pink, these uh, pa pastel pinks and stuff. And then it turns out that's just a marketing ploy. Well, I shouldn't be surprised by it particularly, but it is quite interesting to note that um, you know it's a kind of const construct and invention. Is that is that right? When did you discover that little nugget absolutely unlike unlike um there's a little well, it's not so little a uh, little haiti uh neighborhood a lot mm. of um caribbean population lives there and i feel like the pinks of those houses are a lot more authentic than the pinks of the <laughs> sidewalk well i guess yeah. the color was brought in here during the art deco era uh, a mm. little after um the original art deco was all white so this 20s um, original art deco architecture was white. And then later on, when Miami was having a, a yet another rough patch um, in the 80s, it got all painted over um, in these candy colors, so pastels, and a long pink-colored sidewalk um, was uh, implemented uh, throughout mm -hmm. the entire artificial island. Uh, and that affects everything else around it and all the neon and the famous postcards that you see from Miami beach. It's a very small area of Miami beach, but nonetheless, so the color is uh, important in my work conceptually uh, because Florida owes its existence to images of itself, to the perfect images of itself. If you look at some of the pictures that I have in the flood zone, they're aerial shots, the, uh, sort of native palette is quite swampy yeah and like the, that yeah the sort of signature picture of the alligator mm -hmm. um you know in this kind of green <laughs> swampy mm -hmm. kind of thing it, there's that's a notable contrast in terms of the of the color palette which i think you know works really well but sorry i sort of interrupted you a little yeah bit. yeah exactly yeah it's the swampy kind of green brown green grays um quite subdued uh none of the lush um sort of subtropical palettes that it adopted later mm. 
by cultivating gardens, you know. And you feel, it just feels like another metaphor. They're literally, literally painting over the cracks, you know, like nothing to see here, you know, let's kind of make it all look great on the surface. And then, like you say, I mean, really you're concerned with debunking all that in a way or sort of certainly kind of exploring, yeah, like you say, what's really behind all that, that uh, superficiality. So uh, Florida's, let's talk about that that book because that was the follow the sort of the follow-up um but that was an interesting project um Mm -hmm. because that features work from walker Evans, who also i was talking to Stephen shaw about but um that must have been slightly intimidating prospect i think that was have we got david company to blame for that idea (laughs) that uh you should um that you should put your your work together with with walker Evans, which incidentally was a it was a great idea, but it might have felt a little bit like, are you kidding me kind of thing to you? It was know. for a second. I thought, oh, they're going to rip me apart. They will rip me apart <laughs> if, yeah. I, if I just, um, yeah, if I just put myself alongside this monolithical figure. Mm. But then who cares? You know? Right, exactly. <laughs> In the end, <laughs> somebody asked me, well, who's the real author of this book? And I said, Florida is the real author. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Authorship, I don't think it really matters. Sure. It's about a place and time. And it's. I am a very collaborative person. And David Campany has been my editor for two books, right? Mm. So it was a, a, a wonderful and enriching collaboration. Um, for me, and I hope for him too. You know, to, he seemed to enjoy the process of mm-hmm. editing those books. Um, the yeah. Blood Zone was very involved. There were some decisions on his behalf that I debated. You know, some cropping, even so, some cre- quite creative decisions. But if you know anything about David Campany, uh, you know how prolific he is. Mm. Nobody knows how he manages to do that. Mm. or whether he sleeps at all you know but he edits what 20 30 books a year yeah he gets a lot done he gets a lot done so he would throw this idea at you and with with evans i knew obviously uh, living in the states this is the number one figure you study he's he's this cult figure Mm -hmm. evans and there are so many parallels in the way i photograph i think it's the lack of sort of photo stickery uh, mm. absence of action and that kind of sensationalist, you know, drama um, for the most part, absence of any sort of deep shadow or that type of abstraction of this pictorial you know, view. He was uh, going to be a writer, Evans, and I wanted to be a writer. <laughs> mm. Yeah, they're definite. So you did feel some sort of kinship with him or connection? A lot, more than Mm. with anybody else. And then I discovered this archive, and this is where David Campany stepped in. Uh, So it was about, I was about 70% done with the project. And then on the west coast of Florida, this archive emerged by Evans. Well, it didn't emerge, it's just discovered that there's this vast archive in his paintings. And then... um, the mangrove coast book illustrations that he has done. So I picked up a few of his biographies and uh, discovered uh, his writings from Florida. Some really important ones that I think have influenced the entire lineage of photographers, including Stephen Shore. He was this incredible list maker, Evans. Um, And so the list that's reproduced in my Florida's book, um, that was published this year, you could almost um, compose an entire camp of American photographers who adhere to that list. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Shore, Alex Soth, uh, any road trip photographer, right? even Eggleston. Yeah, everyone's been touched by that in some way. And yeah. so also, like, I think some of the pictures of his are certainly his less well-known you know work so that in itself is is really interesting to see stuff that people are going to be less familiar with but the work of yours in there is it distinctly different in your mind to 
the pictures in flood zones? Did you try to create some delineation between those two bodies of work in a way? Yeah, but like with all of my work, there is certain consistency that mm. remains that just stays throughout all of my projects, even with the landscape sublime. I remember, which is a uh, um, visually uh, might appear most radically different from the flood zone, but flood zone wouldn't exist without that one. And one day I hope when I'm older, <laughs> there's going to be one smart survey survey of my work <laughs> where it would all make sense. It mm-hmm. does in my head. Uh, landscape sublime you know, deals with construct of a place. So does flood zone, but it's observational photography. So does Florida's, but it's an expansion of um, the subjects beyond the environmental that flood zone could not accommodate, right? It's Mm -hmm. this expansion. I'm adding some history. Evans was accused of uh, seeing with the eyes of a 30s photographer while he was photographing in the 50s and 60s. And, you know, nostalgia is a taboo word in photography. And so is beauty, and I'm embracing yeah. both. And mm-hmm. if anything, I'm hoping to subvert those notions too in my work. So sort of like with the landscape sublime work where I'm, I'm, I'm calling um, the most picturesque views from the internet and then printing them out and then reassembling them. So I'm addressing the kitsch, you know, borderline kitsch, the cliche. Um, and that stays with the flood zone and the Floridas and the image cities. Um, mm-hmm. So this kind of typology um, uh, of the most perfected view of a place that then comprises our possible understanding of that place, even if we haven't experienced it firsthand. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think would be the key thread throughout all the projects, but there are differences. So Florida's was done during the time of the election here, uh, the 2020 election, and my anxiety was extremely high, so I needed to just drive around, I think, too. And it felt especially triggering. This loss of democracy is a very triggering, as you can imagine, concept for me. Right, So yeah. trying to understand the place and also looking at Florida as this microcosm of, of America, uh, mm. of the United States. You know, you take, you take Alabama and you take uh, Connecticut, you get Florida. You, get, you take Texas and Vermont, you get Florida. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of intense blend yeah so the florida's you know of the of the title it's your florida and it's evans is florida but it's also this different florida's politically and socially Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and what is the deal with the um political situation so yeah it's it's a swing state right that's one Mm -hmm. of the things that people always that's why there's always controversy when they Mm -hmm. uh, have the election results because you know they have to recount the votes 50 times or whatever it is but um yeah, that I guess you you must have felt the threat of um, of like you say, you know, um, democracy um, kind of going down the tubes, really, um, as a lot of people did. Um, yes, <laughs> there's no question. It's just an observation. I don't know. I don't know. What yeah, to, yeah, that was the anxiety with the flood zone. The project is really, if there's one key phrase that describes it it's climate anxiety the project is psychological more than it is any kind of direct documentation or didactic message same with florida's it's i never claimed any objective view on florida it's my florida and the Mm -hmm. the multiplicity is in the title so florida's and i did drive around everywhere it's not a place i've not been you know apart from very tiny ones in the state so it's been four years of driving around florida with bicycle attached but uh the election here, and I'm sure you you get bits of that information about the the American peculiarities. Well, as a parent, I'm absolutely petrified about the access to um, semi-automatic uh, weapons Happen. here, yeah. right? And you live with it daily, with this anxiety, with severe anxiety. Mm. Just last week, there was a drill in my child's public school. Yeah. And it wasn't a fake drill. It was a drill. They had to... Hide. Right. Uh, it's absolutely petrifying. So this, you know, and here I am driving on highway and you can just pull over and get a gun. There's a roadside gun shop. It's one of the images in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the whole um, retraction of uh, human rights with the ban on abortion in so many states. Um, that's recent. So things yeah. are happening. And the, uh, again, another recent initiative in Florida specifically uh, was the Don't Say Gay 
the anti-woke campaign, don't say gay, you can't say gay in schools now. Again, my child comes from school. And like, what, what, what is this? What, how? So that's an anti-woke campaign. <laughs> yep. Okay. And it's okay. happening. It's hard to keep <laughs> track of things. But you mentioned that thing about um, climate anxiety. I wanted to ask you about that. Can you sort of explain what that is? Because I guess we can we can make a pretty educated guess about what that means, but, but maybe you could define it in some way. Uh, well, we're all in it, but some of us live in um, more vulnerable geographies than others, mm. right? It's no news that essentially the global north is drowning the global south. So the Caribbean is hardly going to make it out of this climate change. You know, where I am, it's vulnerable because it's coastal. Um, but the entire Atlantic coast is a threat. So the anxiety of how um, how do you plan any kind of long-term living in a place that's a threat? Right. Uh, how do you put your roots down when you have to pack up and move? Um, and there are all these articles now coming out of people essentially accepting that adaptation means migration mm. which is already happening and then migration means for the accepting territories right um means the whole revision of how resources are going to distribute it to be distributed and so forth so that creates anxieties in those hubs um that are accommodating all the climate migrants mm. for instance right so there are issues happening even in Florida now and the adjacent states uh, migration to central Florida and Northern Florida. And from there to Atlanta, that's running out of fresh water. You know, that's salinating uh, certain reservoirs in, in Florida um, that are now banning certain type of fishing and the entire communities get destroyed by that. It's, it's a complex network, right. Of interdependent mm. communities and resources. Mm. So, so there's, yeah. There's kind of a palpable sense of that, you know, kind of that pervades just, you know, the, the ether just from being there. Can you take, is that a thing that is just noticeable kind of thing? Or when you talk to people or whatever, that it's sort of clearly in the back of people's minds, this climate anxiety. Yeah, climate anxiety um, and all the underlying under, all the underlying issues, climate gentrification, for instance, where I am, uh, in Miami Beach, it's three to four feet above water, mm. right? That's the elevation versus certain areas mainland in mainland Miami that are 14 to 17 feet above water. So that's a major difference now for the developers who are aware, too, of the rising waters and yeah. who are now moving Just, their luxury yeah. development into the areas that used to accommodate working class and middle class people that right. no longer can afford to live there and now have to migrate elsewhere. Mm. yeah that's a worrying <laughs> lack of uh like you say long-term thinking really there mm -hmm. so um i wanted to ask you about um something that david campany mentioned when we were talking about you mm -hmm. well it was on the podcast we weren't talking about you in private we um we recorded it so it's there for everyone to listen to but we were we were looking in your um show at the um at photo london but he mentioned about the fact that you have a real work ethic and i, I was interested by that Funny enough, here we go. I keep so I'm not name dropping. I keep mentioning Stephen Shaw. Got, I, I love the reference. <laughs> I hate name dropping, as uh, Brad Pitt once said to me. Um, we he was we were talking about the fact that you know he was saying you know you need um, you need talent, you need ambition, and you need a work ethic, and those are that that's the sort of holy trinity uh, in order to I guess be successful in, in whatever way one one could define that you you do work hard where do you get that work ethic from is it do you know or it's just something that you is innate and you experience it but you don't really know what the origins of it are hmm. okay get philosophical with that one uh well please do all right <laughs> that's a great question um i've always had it I think the key impulse here is this uh, sense of gratitude for being able to do that. What I've always known I wanted to do and feeling zero entitlement to this. It's a, an immense privilege to be in this line of work. And I think of it in 
sad to say now, but there were some ideals in this kind of socialist way where I am a culture worker. Mm. Uh, Rodchenko and Varvara Stepanova used to talk about it, that I'm just a cultural worker. And there's nothing else I would rather do. Um, the academic job teaching photography was close enough but it was just so time consuming and I was giving it so much of my energy that it left me with no time. Add to that parenting young child who is now entering teenage years. So that helps immensely. It's funny when people ask, where have you been? I've not heard of you before. I'm like, well, I raised a kid, you know, and also it takes, takes a minute uh, to, get to gain this kind of flexible not flexibility but the freedom i guess to move around relative freedom to move around because you're never not parent um but it's a different trajectory for women and that's why i, I believe part of the reason why there's so few women in this genre of observational street road trip photography right location photography so unless you belong to some agency that really has your back if you're this kind of independent uh, artist it's a lot harder. There's a lot of logistics and there's a lot of knocking on doors. And I also don't come from, um, how do I put it politely? Uh, privilege. Mm. I don't come from privilege at all. You know, this is everything has been earned. Uh, I did not go to Ivy league school. That was out of question for me. I arrived with very little resources and I had to get into my Midwestern school that provided me with free education. There was, there's no way around it. You know, I didn't go to Yale and I didn't have the curators from New York City come to my school and uh, look at my work, right? I had to knock on doors and write emails and try to get meetings with people and show the work uh, so we can collaborate. And the idea mm -hmm. here is to just have this sustainable career where there's enough traction, where things come to me and they do now, but it took years. Nothing was immediate for me. It might appear so from a distance, but it's been decades of work. I don't think I could have asked for a better answer really there. So yeah, th thanks, Anna. That's really interesting. And I think like you say, that sort of lack of entitlement that, you know, you nothing's been, been handed to you. So you just in the habit of just expecting to have to work for everything. And then that, that then stands you in good stead. But I was going to also was going to ask you about the parenting thing, because I suppose one of the things about parenting is you have to be organized with your time. You know, you have to make the most of, of the time that you can, you can kind of eke out. So I presume you kind of learned to do that as well at some point, just by virtue of the fact that, that you had to, you know, you had to do a lot of parenting at the same time as trying to earn a living and trying to, you know, pursue your projects. Was that Absolutely. another side of it? Yeah, there is some little known, you know, background information on some images in the flood zone, even, uh, including the cover where my son, Mark, who was, I think, seven, eight at the time, is standing right next to me at this um, uh, nature preserve where the gator was floating, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> there are several images on taken on that day where I had to bring him with me, the same with... Uh, the Floridas, there were several road trips where he is with me in the car and we have to go and I have to go shoot and then I have to leave him and then come back. And the same with image cities. He was with me on the number of those cities because it was no longer safe to, for him to go to Russia to his grandparents, sadly. Of course. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, yes, he was with me during the Madrid and Brussels shoot. And that was all uh, funded by a grant, uh, by Fundacion Mapre, and I'm immensely grateful to them for awarding me with that one. Because, uh, you know, again, the appearance or whatever social media perception is that, oh, you're just uh, such a jet setter. Absolutely right. not. <laughs> this is all work. And I eat, you know, my continental breakfast leftovers for dinner. And it's, it's intense yeah. and immersive project, but it's still, it's still the best, right? There's, but with that comes this extra hustle. I think it needs a new term. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe work ethic is too grandiose, but hustle is too de too de well, productive. Yeah, I don't. I like the term positive hustle, yeah. um, which is sort of you know about sort of yeah hustle, but in a in a way that's kind of collaborative and um, and sort of embracing of other people's stuff. Mm -hmm. But um, 
Yeah, and so how, how old is, is Mark now? He's turning 12 when I'm in Paris photo. Again. Okay. You know, okay. this is another one. So yeah. we always have to celebrate when I'm back from Paris photo. Right, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, my guy's just about to turn 13, so he's exactly a year older. Mm. So you're going to go to Paris. Are you are you showing work or anything or... Yeah, what, I'm signing what, just, my book. Okay. Um, I'm signing a Florida's book um, at a bookshop there, and then I I showed Florida's last year in a solo there. Uh, I'm not showing this year, but I'm working on two exhibitions. So there's a Florida's that opens at CO Berlin in January, mm. and then Image Cities opens at uh, KBR Mapfre in Barcelona in February. So right. that's already pretty involved and. Uh, we hope to make it uh, touring shows with both institutions. So two separate bodies of work are going to get produced. Right. And obviously I would love for them to, to travel. So I'm going to be um, meeting with people about right. that. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Well, um, hopefully I'll see you there. Um, this will probably go out after we're back, but um, nevertheless, it doesn't really matter. I, I will hopefully I'll, get you to sign a book i'd love to i don't even know uh, is there still copies of flood zone knocking around or is it is it available you don't even know i think anyway, it's close to selling out but it, whatever. i've seen it i will get myself a copy and i'll bring it to paris for you to sign okay are you did you get the bonus questions by the way i did yes okay do you mind if we do those sure okay fantastic well mm-hmm. for now Anna, thank you so much. It's been really enjoyable to talk to you and I do appreciate you joining me. Thank you thank so much. You. Thank you. My pleasure.